are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. So the bad news is that Pastor Bill is not preaching this morning. The good news is that I'm preaching this morning. The other bad news is I'm going to go two times as long as Pastor Bill normally does. Okay, (laughs) Good news, bad news, right? How many guys are the types of people you like the good news first? You like the good news first. Really? You like the good news first before the bad news? Because everyone has a personal preference with that. I didn't think there'd be a lot. I see a tiny hand up back there. You might want to explore your options. There's a little girl in the back. She's got her tiny hand up. I want the good news first. <laughs> How many guys like the bad news first? You like to end with the good stuff, right? I, I, that's, that's where I'm at. I like to, if, if the good news and bad news situation, you're at the mechanic, you're at the doctor, you know, there are all these places that you have that choice of good news and bad news. And usually news comes with uh, mixed, there's a good part and a bad part. It's nice to end with the good stuff, right? Like, give me the bad news first. Uh, and I think most people are probably like that. I'd be interested to talk to you guys and see, you know, what the philosophy is there. And I think when, uh, you know, you're pitch- when you're the teller, how many guys like to, how, how many of you guys have a preference as to the way you tell the good news and the bad news? You know, let people pick. How many guys like to give the bad news first because it makes the good news sound better? You guys, you guys like that? It's like, all right, you know, and you're, you're telling your kids news or you're telling your parents news. You know, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uh, give them the bad news first. That way the, the positive side will sound fantastic. Um, so if the bad news comes first, it makes the, the good news look better. But regardless of what order... You know, you want that news in. I mean, it would stink if you just got the bad news, right? Everyone wants the good news at some point. I don't care what order you give it to me in. Everybody wants that good news at some point because it would just be terrible if all we got was the bad news. And uh, we've been in this series, this theme over Christmas, Better Days. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about is the good news this morning. We're going to talk about the good news as it relates to hope and better days. And uh, I want you to turn to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, yeah, that, that might be a tough one. You can use your index. That's what the index is there for. Look for the book of Zephaniah. It's one of those little prophetic books that's in there uh, in, in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible. And uh, you'll see Zephaniah, is, he's very similar to a lot of these Old Testament prophets. And uh, he gave some bad news. All right? Usually the prophets, they preferred bad news first and then good news to follow. And Zephaniah was very similar uh, to that. You know, I just, I just think the name Zephaniah is awesome. We should have more kids just so we could name a child Zephaniah. No, it's not happening. Um, Shelly would be like, no, <laughs> not a good reason. Um, so if you, if you find the book of Zephaniah, uh, the bad news is obvious. Most of the time, for all of us, the bad news is obvious. And uh, in in, if you're reading your Bible... These prophetic books can just, holy smokes, bad news. You talk about bad news, the definition of bad news when you're reading through all these prophetic books. And then the bad news is not that hard to to see for us too. I mean, I don't know, I won't make you raise your hands on this one, but a lot of us tend to see the bad news more readily than we see the good news. And you look around the world and it's very easy to see bad news. It's so easy to pick out, especially if you're in a bad mood or bad things are going on. You watch the news and we can very easily slip into a mindset of only seeing the bad news. And walking around with our hands down, not even realizing it, kind of living in that state of, 
man, life just stinks and the world's a terrible place, you know. And days can drag you down and family situations drag And there's so many things that get piled on top of us. So many things that we see and we hear and we just shake our heads and we sigh. <sighs> Why does it have to be like that? So you look at the first part of Zephaniah and let me just tell you. I don't know if you've spent any time reading these prophetic books. You can say anything about the prophetic books of the Bible. You cannot say they are boring. And you cannot say that they are not um, fascinating, interesting. These guys were nuts. The language they used, and the, I mean, if we translated that into modern-day street English today, I think some of the stuff that the prophets said would be shocking, okay? So the bad news is pretty obvious, all right? And I'll just let your imaginations go wild with you here. Just a little snippet of the bad news that Zephaniah chose to give God's people first is in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 17. And if you want to flip back there, go for it. If you want to find it in your app or uh, on your phone or whatever. This is just a snippet of the bad news that the people had already received. He said, I will bring such distress. And he's speaking for God. Okay, this is judgment. You guys have been acting stupid. You've been doing your own thing. You're disobeying God. You're walking away from him. You're not being loyal to God. He's blessed you and he loves you. And you're like dishonest and greedy and you're doing all this stuff. And this, this is what's going to happen. All right. And he says in 117, he says, I will bring such distress on all the people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Holy smokes, that's bad news. Have you received news like that last week or in the last month? You read that and you're like, yeah, that's really, really bad news. I really don't want that to happen to my entrails. That would be terrible, all right? So the people read this and they hear these prophets and there's different reactions to that. You know, they can be angry about it or upset. They could raise an angry fist. But a lot of them, so there's no hope then, right? Like God's angry at us and there's no hope for us to, to be what we should be. We just keep messing this thing up. Is there any hope for better days? So it, it, you could see a, a, an Israelite who maybe you know, has a pure heart, a person of God that has a pure heart looking at Zephaniah or raising their hands to God and saying, well, what's the good news? Is there hope beyond all of this? Is there some hope? And in Zephaniah chapter 3 he, he starts the good news, all right? He starts the good news, which is a great thing to focus on in this Better Days theme and during the Christmas uh, season here. And uh, Zephaniah was, uh, we don't know tons about him. Uh, like a lot of the prophets, he was, he, he was a messenger of God. God's chosen vocal piece to go to the people and say, hey, this is what the story is when it comes to your relationship with God. And uh, he was most likely running around doing that uh, during the reign of King Josiah. And King Josiah was a cool guy. He tried to make a lot of changes and get people's hearts turned back to God. So Zephaniah was, was part of that era and that time um, that he was talking to God's people. Jeremiah around that same time, talking to people, doing the same thing, trying to raise attention and awareness uh, about the people's relationship with God. And interesting little, little tidbit, he may have been, Zephaniah might might have been the great great grandson grandson of King Hezekiah. For those of you guys who read through the Old Testament and, and read some of the kings, I know it's hard to keep track of all the kings, like back and forth, back and forth. But uh, he might have been the great great grandson of King Hezekiah. So if you look at Zephaniah chapter three, verse fourteen, uh, the good news part starts. So the bad, he gives them this horrible bad news, and the good news starts with Zephaniah three fourteen. He says, "Sing, daughter Zion." 
Shout aloud, Israel! Exclamation point. So in the midst of all this bad news and the weeping and the entrails, right? He says, sing, rejoice, guys. Be happy. Have joy. And he says, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. And you've got to think in the midst of all that bad news and all the sin and all the greed and all the terrible things that were taking place and the terrible things that people were doing, that would just stand out. Really? Rejoice? Like, I thought God was in judgment over us. I thought God was angry. And the thought there is that, that, that I think it's important to stop right at, at verse 14 and understand the fact that God wants you to rejoice. God wants you to rejoice. God is not happy when you're suffering. God's not happy when we're miserable. God does not sit on his throne and wish misery upon us. And, and all of the judgment, all of that entrail stuff has nothing to do with, with God wanting to sit back and fold his arms and, and say, I wish bad upon you. I want to hurt you. I want bad for your life. That's not why. Actually, the reason for all of that is, is because he loves us. I mean, think about it. Why do you warn someone? Why would you warn anyone? Why would you warn your children about something that would happen to them? Why would you warn a good friend? Why would you warn an enemy about something bad coming to them? Because you care. Because you love them because you don't want those things to happen. All right? So God's heart here in 14 is, guys, I want you to be full of joy. I created you to live on this earth and enjoy my blessings and enjoy a relationship with me. I want you to rejoice. And for you and for me... I want you to enjoy Christmas. Like, God doesn't sit back uh, while you're sitting around the tree with your family and, ah, oh, those people. He's happy when we're with family and we're rejoicing and we're in healthy relationship with each other and we're choosing him and to follow him and to live his way. God wants us to have joy deep down. And he, he calls them with exclamation points to rejoice there. And he goes on in verse 15. He says, the Lord, and again, here are some of the reasons he's getting into as to why. Okay, here are the reasons why I want you to rejoice. Here's the reasons uh, that there's, there's good news here. Verse 15. The Lord has taken away your punishment. So he's saying to them, there is a time coming when it's not going to be all about punishment and consequences. I am choosing at some point, as you turn to me, as your heart softens to me, as you desire a relationship with me, as you're willing to listen to me, I'm going to take away your punishment. And man, if you don't see Jesus in that, that's what it's all about. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that, taking away our punishment. When Jesus comes down and says, you know what? I am going to die for your sin. We've blown it. We're broken. We don't get it right. I'm going to reset all that. I choose to die in your place, to reset this relationship and bring joy again between people and God. So he says, I've chosen to take away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. And the part of verse 15 that just kept working on me, and uh, Douglas Kirsten and I were working on this together uh, because he's speaking up at the mills live today, and that's why I don't see anybody talking to the camera today. It's, it's just us, guys. Just us. And, and you guys. Way back there. Um, the thing that just was, was echoing to us in verse 15 is, the Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. The Lord is with you. And I, that just kept running through my head. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I had visions to my, back to my childhood of being in dark places or being in scary places and hearing my dad's voice. I'm here. 
during the night when you're sick, I'm here. I'm here. And all of us can remember those assurances. There is a huge amount of joy and safety and peace and security in knowing that your parent, that your spouse, that God is with you. So he reassures me, he says, I'm with you. And that's reminiscing. You know, we sing these Christmas carols. And I wonder, <clears throat> in this day and age sometimes, if you know, we, we lose the meaning. We don't even understand literally what the meaning of the word Emmanuel is. Like we, we sing the Christmas songs and it becomes part of the nostalgia, which is fine. But what does the word Emmanuel mean? I mean, this should, this should bring back that, that notor- famous Christmas verse, Matthew 1.23. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So again, Jesus is the definition of this. And Christmas is the time we celebrate this. Emmanuel, God with us. That comes from Isaiah 7.14. God, this is not a new thing in Jesus where it says Emmanuel, God with us. All through the Bible, God is saying to his people, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I will be with you. I will never leave you. And ultimately, eventually, I will literally be with you. I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And that's the thought there is that God is with you. Why is he with you? Why do you want to be with anyone? Because you love them, right? Why would you want someone to be happy and rejoice? Because you love them. God wants us to be rejoicing and full of joy. He's with us because he loves us. The God of the universe, the Jesus who died for you, loves you. And that's why he wants to spend time with you. That's why he wants to be with you. And that's why he said that to his people. And I was actually reading uh, this verse here in Matthew one twenty three, And I, I had one of those moments. And again, you'd, th- you'd think I'd know this. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this. There are probably half of you even know the answer to this. And I'm stupid or something. But I was sitting here reading this. And I, was, I, I said, it, said, it spells it Emmanuel. In, in Matthew one twenty three, and I was like, wait a second, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, what, 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 why is that? Some of you guys can just go to sleep for this part because it's just trivia, but I was reading it and it was, it was like, why, why, why? And uh, it's, it comes from Isaiah 7.14, Matthew's quoting Isaiah 7.14, and the Hebrew term for God with us is Emmanuel. And when the Hebrew, I guess, when the, I, guess I don't know Hebrew, but when the Hebrew word uh, God with us is moved over and transliterated into English, it comes out Emmanuel. Well then when they took you know, the Greek into the New Testament and, and the, the Greek language took Emmanuel over, the little epsilon, the E showed up there and says, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. So I don't know if it's Christian trivial pursuit over Christmas or something. Maybe you would get something out of that, but I don't know. I was just wondering about it. So that's the answer to that. But um, so anyway, uh, but you think of that thought, God is with, God is with you and truly at work and at home and, you know, out there, I mean, soldiers on the battlefield, whoever you are, If God is with us, there's implication. Just like Pastor Bill was talking about a hope that changes your today and your behavior today. If we know, if we receive that fact that God is with us, it changes how we act today. And the biggest thing that came to my mind is is, is the fact that it drives out fear. If we truly know and accept the fact that God is with us, then what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear at work? What do we have to fear about the future? What do we have to fear at the hands of people if God is saying, I'm right here with you? What do we have to fear about bad bad diagnoses and illness? And what can overcome us if God says, I am with you? Can we not trust him to protect us and to look out for our best interests? Can we not trust him with our future? He wants to restore you. 
He wants to bless you. And that's what he's saying to his people. He's saying, you guys are over here doing all this stuff outside of me. And I'm here waiting to bless you. I just, I can't wait to be in a relationship with you. That's what I want. So will you stop running around doing all this other stuff? And will you come back to me so we can enjoy this relationship and we can be what, what it's supposed to be? So he goes on in verse 16 and he, he continues to reiterate these themes. God through Zephaniah. Verse 16, he says, on that day, they will say to Jerusalem. So he's talking about on that day, better days ahead. It's not always going to be about judgment. It's not always going to be about difficulty. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. That's such a picture of the way we get. You know, our shoulders slump down. It's a, it's a posture of defeat and discouragement. He says, don't let that happen. Don't let your hands hang limp. Verse 17, the Lord your God, and he repeats it. The Lord your God is with you. Another reason we repeat things and affirm things is if we feel like people might doubt it. Maybe because of circumstances. Could you say that to me again? Because I'm looking around and it's not meshing. God, are you really with me? Because of A and B and C and D. Really, God? And so he repeats it again. He says, I'm telling you, I'm reassuring you. I'm with you. Despite what you see, despite the evil and the wickedness, despite the judgment, despite all this stuff, I'm here. So he repeats and affirms that I am with you. He says, don't let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior, the mighty warrior, not a mighty warrior, capital letters there, the mighty warrior who saves. I think of that, I think, wow, it's it's kind of like walking around with this real huge dude with a suit of armor and a sword just kind of hanging out with you all day long. Can you imagine like going to Subway to order your food and there's this big dude skulking next to you with a sword and armor on, you know? Hey, that's my mighty warrior. He's just there in case something goes wrong. Like, okay, does he want a sandwich? You know, God is always there with us. He's saying, I'm a mighty warrior. I'm not just with you, but I'm strong. I'm not just with you. I have the power to defeat anything that comes at you. I have the power to control any circumstance. So it's not just me with you. It's me, the mighty warrior. You need to know that. You need to remember that I am strong enough to intervene in any situation. I'm strong enough to handle your difficulty. I'm the mighty warrior that's with you. He will take great delight in you. His love will no longer, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. It's important to catch the nuance there. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke. So wait, the rebuking and the calling us back and the warning, it's out of love? Yeah, that's what he's saying, it's out of love. But when you come back to me, when you turn back to me, you're not going to have to fear that judgment. Because honestly, God's saying, it's like like he's saying, I'm the mighty warrior. And really, the only person you have to fear is me. And when we're we're close, when we're together, there's no fear of any of that. There's no fear of any of the consequences of sin because I've taken that away. He says, but I will rejoice over you with singing. God loves you. He wants to protect you. He wants to save you. God loves you. And he wants to save and protect you. We just have to choose to let him. We have to choose to be at peace with God. We have to choose a relationship with God. The presence of God, the protection of God, the deliverance of God, the delight of God, all those things are wrapped up in a bundle. They all go together. 
They all go together. Now, <clears throat> I was thinking about this, and really, I think, you know, me and Douglas were talking, and we are talking about how that, you know, <clears throat> protection of God, he's talking kind of mostly about, you know, the judgment, and you guys are doing dumb stuff, and consequences are coming, and so I'm no longer, you no longer have to fear me and fear those consequences once you come back. But, but I was thinking, it was probably some people sitting there go, okay, if there's this mighty warrior with me all the time, and God's so big, and he says he's going to protect me, then why is this happening? And why is this happening? And why is this happening? Why is this happening? You hear that all the time. And I can't give you a comprehensive answer for everything that's going on in your life. I don't think you want that. But I think in, in, when you look at this text and you look at these biblical themes, you know, a lot of people want the protection of God, but they don't want to walk with God. They, don't, they don't really don't want a relationship with him, honestly. And it's not just about doing the things he wants to do, but they don't want to have a relationship with him, but they still want his protection, his blessing, and all of that stuff. And kind of what he's saying here is that it just doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. We're supposed to be in a love relationship with each other. And that means loyalty. And that means, you know, we're in connection and, and, and we're supposed to walk with God. And so once we decide to do our own thing outside of God... Yeah, we're kind of like out on our own to trip and to fall and to experience all the consequences that come along with our own selfish human behavior. Now, the other part of that is I, I just thought of Job. God was, was never away from Job. The real hard thing to swallow with that is God let that happen to him. Job, there was, Job didn't do anything to bring it on himself. You know, and sometimes in, in just this broken world that we live in, for some reason that are mostly God's reasons, he lets, he's letting this go on. And so it doesn't mean that he's not with us. And, and he doesn't choose to give us an answer for this. He just chooses to say, I'm with you. I'm here. So in the midst of difficult news, in the midst of laying in a hospital bed, in the midst of you just got this news that you've received this terrible diagnosis, in the midst of people choosing to, to do stuff to you at work and school, in the midst of all this, we question, why is God letting this happen? And his answer to that is, I'm here. I'm here. Because I think, really, that's better than an answer. A hand to hold is better than an answer. The presence of God is always better than an answer. So maybe that helps a little bit with that question. Verse 18, he says, I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach from you. So you had all these people running around and they were just grieving the loss of good times. You know, that, that used to be this way and we're just upset. You know, where, where's the way things used to be? He said, I'm, I'm going to fix all that. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. And again, you read the history of the Jewish people. There's always someone attacking and destroying, and a lot of it was judgment stuff. He said, I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. Verse 20, man, at that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. That is language that should resonate with everybody. Whether you were a, a, a Jewish person living during this time or even us today, I know for me when I heard that, I will bring you home. Man, there's a whole set of stuff that floods through me when I just feel that and think of that. God wants to bring me home. I mean, what's home? For everybody throughout time, what's home? Home is that place of safety, that, that place of security, that place of warmth, that place where you don't have to be scared of anything, that place where there's people who love you, uh, that place where there are smells and sights and comforts that, that are unique. 
to home. And you look forward to going home. And when we walk through the front door, we go, ah, I'm home. And you, and you take off your work clothes and your work shoes and you, you, you empty your pockets and you take out your stuff and you go and... I don't know if it's like, I don't know how many of you guys like, what do you think about during the day, especially in the winter? How many guys think about going home and just getting on the couch with a blanket? Anyone, anyone think about that? Shh, man, that gets you through some of those days where you're like, man, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be part of that couch. Uh, there's going to be no separation between the two. And you got your favorite blanket and your dogs there, whatever it is for you. He's saying, I want to bring you home. And home ultimately is with him. Home is where you came from, right? Didn't we all come from God? Didn't he create us? Isn't he the one that's given us um, our unique gifts and talents and how we're supposed to be in this world? So he said, I want to bring you back to the place where you came from. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. God wants to bring you home. And for some of you guys, that means that you've just been running. You've just been away from home, meaning away from God. You have been out doing your own thing. You have been out making your own decisions and living your own life and doing whatever. And God's saying, Are, will, you, will you let me bring you back? Just like the prodigal son, will you let me bring you back home? Are you sick of all that yet? Because I can't wait until we're just at home together and you're with me. Why does he want to bring us home? Because he loves us. That's why. He wants us to be with him. This terminology is also throughout the whole Bible. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he describes his father's place as a house with many rooms. Right? Because that resonates with us. He put that in us. Home is that peace place. That place of restoration and safety. And he wants to bring you back there. Jesus said, uh, as far as this whole theme of I'm with you, I'm with you. And man, that's what I hope you leave with today. I hope you walk out of here going, he's with me. He's with me. God's with me. Jesus is with me. My Savior, my protector, he's with me. Jesus did this. He repeated it again to his disciples in Matthew 28, 20. When he's about to leave, he looks at them and says, my, my physical body is leaving you. But he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that didn't mean that they wouldn't be stoned and persecuted and they wouldn't have to deal with just stuff down here. But he says, you guys have to remember I'm with you. No matter what's going on, I'm with you. And what about that home piece? Man, does Revelation paint a picture of, of the ultimate homecoming. Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. It's God with us. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. The old order of things has passed away. So the voice of Jesus still today, saying, I'm with you, and ultimately, I'm going to bring you home. You just have to hang in there. You just have to walk with me. You just have to trust me on all this stuff. Stay with me. The thing today, Jesus is with you. Let nothing keep you from rejoicing. Nothing? Let nothing that's going on at work steal that joy. Do not let your physical condition steal that joy. 
Because those things can't take Jesus' presence away from you. He said, I'm with you. Jesus is with you. Let nothing that's going on in your family keep you from rejoicing in the fact that he's in control, he's with you, and ultimately he's going to bring you home. That he has taken away your sin, right? We can rejoice in that. Let nothing that's going on in the world around you, and you're watching the news, or, or, or you look around, the people that mistreat you, the people that are out to get you, the people that are trying to harm you, your financial situation, all of these things, God's saying, I'm the mighty Savior. I'm, I'm your protector. Hold my hand. Stay with me. Trust me. Believe me. Let me bring you home. Let me take care of your sin. And don't let that stuff steal your joy away. So for you, I don't know what it is that's, that's keeping you from rejoicing like God wants you to because he loves you. And that's the question. Are you currently, as you sit here this morning, are you currently experiencing the joy that comes from Jesus being with you? And for you, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for a long time, but for some reason, as you sit here today, for some reason, that joy that he bought for you to have on the cross, for some reason, it's just not infiltrating your life. It's just not there. Because you're letting stuff, stuff steal it away. And you're looking not mostly at the cross, you're looking mostly at the other stuff. Just like Peter, he looked at the waves and he took his eyes off Jesus. And maybe for you, that's what's going on. For some of you guys, maybe you're here this morning, and the reason you're not experiencing that joy is because you're sitting here thinking, man, I don't even have a relationship with God. I don't even know Jesus. Like, I've sat in church a bunch of times, but I don't know Jesus. I've not allowed him to take my sin and brokenness off me. I've not been willing to admit I even, even am broken. Man, you talk about Christmas? This is the good news for all people. This is what it's supposed to be. And I honestly believe that when we rejoice without fear, but when you honestly have a life that's filled with joy, because it shows. When you're rejoicing and you have joy, it shows. So if you're at work and you're at home and your kids at work, whatever your context is, if this joy is in you, it's going to make an impact on your surroundings. People will see this joy. I mean, I see it. I'm blessed all the time when I, people in this church, you guys, when I go into a hospital room and I see someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer and they're receiving chemotherapy and their eyes are bright and their heart is strong and they're full of God's joy, I'm like, wow, that's inspiring because the joy of God is there in their lives and, and I get taught that by you guys all the time. When we rejoice without fear, when we are confident in God's love for us, no matter what's going on, when we're confident in his protection and his peace, the world sees him. That's when the world sees Jesus in us. And they're like, what's that? Well, what is that? Can you, disc- can you tell me what's going on there? And that's when they say, I'll, yeah, I'll, where, where do you go to church? I'll come to your church. Or can we get coffee together? Can I tell you about what's going on in my life? That's what that does to the world. So we're going to close and... I want to give you an opportunity, hopefully in your seats and through our response song, to pray. Because I think it's so important for you to talk to Jesus about what the Holy Spirit's talking to you about as you sit here. So maybe you're here today, and before you walk out these doors, you need to say, Jesus, I'm, dro- I'm dropping my sin. I'm, I'm not going to run anymore. Forgive me. Come into my life. Maybe your prayer today is, is that prayer that begins your relationship with God, Honestly. Maybe you're here today and, and you just need to look at God and say, I'm sorry, because I've not been rejoicing. I've not been uh, focusing on your protection, your peace, the fact that you're with me. I've kind of been, I've been lost lately. I've let my joy get taken away. God, forgive me for that and help me to get back in 
to this healthy relationship with you that produces joy. Maybe some of you are here today and your prayer is, ah, it's so hard because I got this, I got this, I got this, and I can't do this on my own. And maybe your prayer is today, it's, so, it's going to be so hard for me in these next months to have that joy and to rejoice with an exclamation point. It's going to be so hard. I can barely do it in church because of what's going on. And maybe your prayer is, Holy Spirit, can you fuel that? Can you give me that strength to have that joy because I don't have it in me on my own? So would you bow your heads and we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to pray for you and I encourage you to, to pray as you're sitting at your seats and as I'm praying, reach out to say something to Jesus this morning about what the Holy Spirit is, is tapping you on the shoulder about. Dear Jesus, I want to pray for everybody who is gathered here today. Thank you so much that you love us. You love us despite our incredible brokenness. You love us so much despite the incredibly dumb decisions we make all the time. You love us despite our hearts that wander after other things. You love us. And you warn us because you love us. And you want to bring us home because you love us. And you want to protect us because you love us. I pray, God, we would see that fact this morning, that you love us. And I pray that we would all realize and feel by your Holy Spirit that you are with us. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.